Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH, found under the renal section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 70-year-old man presents to his physician with difficulty initiating a stream and post-void dribbling. He also reports having increased urinary urgency and a weak urinary stream. Medical history is significant for hypertension and is, he is not on medication. On digital rectal exam, his prostate is enlarged, non-tender, firm, and smooth. Urinalysis is unremarkable and prostate-specific antigen is elevated. He has started on tamsulosin to improve his lower urinary tract symptoms. Let's continue with an introduction to benign prostatic hyperplasia. Clinically, it is defined as benign hyperplasia of the stromal and epithelial cells of the prostate that results in lower urinary tract symptoms, such as post-void dribbling, increased urinary frequency and urgency, nocturia, and weak urinary stream. In terms of epidemiology, remember that demographically it affects men greater than 45 years of age. In terms of the etiology, the pathogenesis is unclear. However, chronic inflammation and hormonal and vascular mechanisms may play a role. And conditions associated with BPH include obesity and metabolic syndromes, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes mellitus. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include issues with urinary storage, such as nocturia, increased urinary frequency, urinary incontinence, and urgency, as well as issues with voiding, such as weak urinary stream, hesitancy, straining to void, and post-void dribbling, and remember that this is exacerbated by alpha-1 agonists. Other symptoms may include irritative issues, such as urgency and increased urinary frequency. And on physical exam, one may perform a digital rectal exam that may demonstrate a non-tender, smooth, elastic, and firmly enlarged prostate. In terms of other studies that may be performed, labs may include urinalysis to detect the presence of a urinary tract infection or blood, as well as prostate-specific antigen. However, this is nonspecific. And in terms of the diagnostic criteria, remember that BPH is a clinical diagnosis based on history, such as a history of storage, voiding, and or irritating urinary symptoms, as well as physical exam, which may demonstrate a non-tender, smooth, elastic, and firmly enlarged prostate. And with regards to the differential, make sure to think about prostate cancer, prostatitis, urinary tract infection, and bladder cancer. And in terms of treatment, medical treatment options include alpha-1 blockers such as terazosin and tamsulosin. These are considered the initial therapy in patients with lower urinary tract symptoms secondary to BPH. These may result in immediate relief. However, have caution in patients on a phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor as this can cause severe hypotension. Other options include 5-alpha reductase inhibitors, such as finasteride. This can be used as an alternative treatment in patients with lower urinary tract symptoms secondary to BPH who cannot tolerate alpha-1 blockers. However, remember that this takes time for symptom improvement to be appreciated, usually around 6 to 12 months. Another option is phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitors, such as sildenafil. This is a reasonable treatment option in patients with lower urinary tract symptoms secondary to BPH who have erectile dysfunction. Surgical treatment options include transurethrovasection of the prostate. 
This is a treatment option in patients who are unresponsive to medical treatment, and it is also indicated in patients with recurrent UTIs, bladder stones, or gross hematuria secondary to their BPH. However, complications of this procedure include retrograde ejaculation and erectile dysfunction, however this is uncommon. Complications related to BPH include UTIs, nephrolithiasis, bladder stones, chronic kidney disease, and hydronephrosis. And lastly, with regards to the prognosis, remember that symptoms slowly and progressively worsen. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to benign prostatic hyperplasia, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department with trouble urinating. The patient states that in general, he has had difficulty urinating, but recently it has taken significant effort for him to initiate a urinary stream. He finds himself unable to completely void and states he has suprapubic tenderness as a result. These symptoms started suddenly three days ago. The patient has a history of benign prostatic hyperplasia, constipation, and diabetes mellitus. His current medications include finasteride, sodium docusate, and hydrochlorothiazide. He recently started taking phenylephrine for seasonal allergies. The patient's last bowel movement was two days ago. His temperature is 99.0 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 167 over 98. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. Respirations are 14 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100% on room air. Physical exam is notable for suprapubic tenderness and an ultrasound reveals 750 milliliters of fluid in the bladder. Which of the following is the most likely etiology of this patient's symptoms? The answer choices are Choice 1. Constipation Choice 2. Medication-induced symptoms Choice 3. Prostatic adenocarcinoma Choice 4. Urinary tract infection or Choice 5. Worsening benign prostatic hypertrophy The best answer to this question is choice two, medication-induced symptoms. This patient is presenting with sudden onset urinary retention in the setting of benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH, and starting an alpha-1 agonist, such as ephenylephrine, suggesting his symptoms are secondary to this medication. Urinary retention typically presents in men with BPH and can present with straining to urinate, a painful and distended bladder, and incomplete voiding. Chronic treatment for BPH is finasteride, which is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor that can slow the progression of BPH. Acute treatments include tamsulosin, which is an alpha-1 antagonist, which can aid in voiding. Patients who start medications with anticholinergic properties or alpha-1 agonist medications can worsen their urinary retention. Anticholinergics decrease cholinergic tone on the bladder, which is required for urination. On the other hand, Alpha-1 agonists increase the tone of the urinary tract sphincters, making it more difficult to urinate. The treatment of medication-induced urinary retention is to stop the offending agent and to potentially start tamsulosin if symptoms persist. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Constipation is a potential etiology of urinary retention and could possibly be worsening this patient's symptoms of urinary retention. However, the patient's symptoms started three days ago, and his symptoms did not improve with a bowel movement two days ago. 
Though this patient's constipation should be better managed, it is not the most likely etiology of his urinary retention. Choice 3. Prostatic adenocarcinoma is unlikely to cause urinary retention when compared to benign prostatic hypertrophy. Prostatic adenocarcinoma typically presents with a rock-hard and nodular prostate in contrast to a soft, symmetric, and enlarged prostate in BPH and is less likely to obstruct the urinary tract. Choice 4. Urinary tract infection would present with symptoms of dysuria, including urinary urgency, burning, and increased frequency, rather than urinary retention. Choice 5. Worsening benign prostatic hyperplasia is a possible contributing etiology to this patient's urinary retention. However, it would not cause a sudden onset of urinary retention, as was seen in this patient. Rather, it would be a gradual worsening of urinary retention. Finally, a bullet summary. Anticholinergic medications and alpha-1 agonists can cause or exacerbate urinary retention. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. An 84-year-old man presents to the emergency department for a loss of consciousness. The patient states that he was using the bathroom when he lost consciousness and fell, hitting his head on the counter. The patient has a past medical history of diabetes, hypertension, obesity, factor V Leiden, constipation, myocardial infarction, and vascular claudication. His current medications include lisinopril, atorvastatin, valproic acid, propanolol, insulin, metformin, and sodium docusate. The patient denies use of illicit substances. His temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 167 over 98. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. Respirations are 15 breaths per minute, and oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam reveals an elderly man sitting comfortably in his stretcher. Cardiac exam reveals a systolic murmur heard at the right upper sternal border that radiates to the carotids. Pulmonary exam reveals mild bibasilar crackles. Neurologic exam reveals 5 out of 5 strength in his upper and lower extremities with normal sensation. The patient's gait is mildly unstable. The patient is unable to give a urine sample in the emergency department and states that he almost fainted again when he tried to. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Transient ischemic attack. Choice 2. Postural hypotension. Choice 3. Seizure. Choice 4. Cardiac arrhythmia. Or choice 5. Situational syncope. The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Situational syncope. This patient is presenting with syncope whenever he tries to urinate, suggesting a diagnosis of situational syncope secondary to benign prostatic hyperplasia. Situational syncope is a type of vasovagal syncope that only occurs during certain situations, such as dehydration or during straining with bowel movements or urination in BPH. Situations that increase intra-abdominal pressure can lead to a vagal response that causes sudden bradycardia and hypoperfusion of the CNS, resulting in syncope. Patients presenting with syncope should be worked up for a cardiac or neurologic process before making the diagnosis of situational syncope. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Transient ischemic attack presents with sudden stroke-like symptoms, such as loss of vision and unilateral weakness, that typically self-resolves by the time the patient presents. 
this patient's symptoms are reproducible with urination, suggesting an alternate diagnosis. Choice 2. Postural hypotension presents with syncope when a patient stands up suddenly. A slow increase in vascular tone results in temporary blood pooling in the lower extremities and hypoperfusion of the CNS, which can cause syncope. This patient's symptoms only occur when he tries to urinate. Choice 3. Seizure presents with symptoms during the episode and a post-ictal state. This patient does not seem to have a post-ictal state and has symptoms reproducible with urination. Choice 4. Cardiac arrhythmia is a possible diagnosis in this patient, and an ECG should be performed to rule out a cardiac diagnosis. In the setting of syncope specific to certain situations, situational syncope is a more likely diagnosis. Finally, a bullet summary. Situational syncope is a type of vasovagal syncope that only occurs in certain situations, most commonly dehydration or straining. That's all for this review about benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.